Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Church, before we grab our seats, it is an absolute delight of mine this morning to be able to introduce a great friend, but more than that, a great inspiration in my life. And I said to the men last night that I know a lot of ministries and a lot of ministers around the world, but there's none that I hold in higher regard than Trent, who you're going to hear his story this morning, it's going to touch your heart, so I want you to get ready for that. But he stayed true to the course, and he's got a beautiful wife that he ministers alongside, and he's got a beautiful family, four amazing kids, but his heart just beats with passion for people, and I've never met somebody so selfless. He told the story, I don't know if you're going to share this this morning, but they built their dream home in Auckland, New Zealand, architecturally designed dream home. And God called him to Fungaray to start a church. But he didn't just say, leave the house there, go and start a church. He said, give the house away. Not sell the house, give the house away. So when you think commitment to the cause, these guys have said, we'll pay the price, we'll pay the whatever it costs God, we want to see heaven populated and help London. I, I want you to get ready. I want to honour them, Jade and Trent, their beautiful family. Can we just welcome them this morning as Trent comes to the He's got grey, grey, green, green. People are looking at us at the cafe this morning. I think we're a bit of a couple, I think, maybe. All right. You guys can take your seats. So good to be here. Thank you, guys. <laughs> just kind of, I got to resolve it. You got to go chill. Do what you want. It's all good. How are we all doing this morning? So good. Doing good? So good. You can see some beautiful faces I haven't seen for a while. It's probably been about four years uh, since I've been here at uh, C3 Noosa. And who who was here when I who was still in church when I was here last time? Great, awesome. So and who's not heard my story here today? Give me a wave. You've not heard my story. Give me a wave. Awesome. All right. And uh, I just you know don't don't be scared. You know, if, if you see me preaching and my vein and my head, so I get this vein that sort of just pops out, you know, I'm, I'm okay. You don't need to call an ambulance or anything like that, but I'm just passionate about Jesus and what God's done in my life. And I just want to let you know that you don't have to go through what I went through to meet Jesus. You don't need to change anything today to meet him. He accepts you as you are today. And I don't know what you're going through, but he does. And at the end of this meeting, I want to give you an opportunity to just to respond and give your heart to Jesus. And this whole thing that we're doing here today is not about religion. Jesus hates religion. The only thing he said to keep to, to keep doing that's religious is looking after the orphans and the widows. And that's it. You know, and, uh, if, you, if you're looking for religion, there's plenty of other churches in Noosa that would probably be doing, would do religion. Go down there. This church and what we do, we're not about religion. It's all about relationship. And, you know, you give your heart to Jesus, you're now in a relationship with the Father. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And, um, yeah, thank you, Christian and Lissy. Great friends, great people, great encouragement. And uh, I just want us all to please just, you know, 20 seconds, like 30 seconds a day. Can we just lift up Christian's brother, Matthew, in this time who's fighting cancer? And uh, that sucks, man. The devil's an egg. And uh, he can just go get stuffed. 
And I just want us to just pray. All, all I'm asking is 30 seconds of your time a day. That's it. Just a praying to clear over Chris, uh, over, over Maddie. And, you know, we were sitting having breakfast this morning. He texts through saying, I'm in, a, I'm in a lot of pain. He's on all the meds in the world. But we're just going to declare breakthrough and healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just all do that? That would be really, really good. So, man, it's a beautiful song, eh, that speak. And, uh, you know, there's something powerful in your voice. And I'll just share a little bit on that before I... Before I share my story, I just want to honor my beautiful wife. And uh, didn't I do well? Hey, hey, I cracked it, man. Hallelujah. And uh, my beautiful wife and my children is uh, here. My oldest daughter, Kayla. Second oldest daughter, uh, Ella. Uh, my youngest boy, Luca, who's fast asleep. And uh, and my, my youngest little boy, Koa. So teenage girls, little young young kids, 43, still got it. And uh, But I don't know what we're doing, hey, having newborns. At 43, man, what am I up to? Uh, praise the Lord, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. And, you know, as Christian said, uh, I, as you'll hear, I got saved about 15 and a half years ago. and um, But I've been ministering for, I don't know, about 11 years, I think, in ministry. Started off at kids' church and youth. Pretty much all the great years I have today is from that season. And uh, But then we got called to pastoring. And then we uh, we got called to go to Whangarei, which is about two hours north of Auckland. And as Christian said, we just we just gave up everything. We we don't, you know. There's only one thing that we love in our family, and that's Jesus. You know, and I'm sold out for this thing. And my I, I know my assignment here on earth today is just to try and populate heaven uh, as much as I possibly can before I die. You know, um, you know I don't fear death. I don't fear anything because you know we don't we don't die. Hey, as a Christian, as a believer, we don't die. So I don't give a stuff. You know, so my job here today is you know to to represent Jesus and spread his name and his love and his power wherever I go. So, um, yes, I want to honor my kids. You guys are amazing. Love you heaps. And, uh, yeah, so really just, just that song about speaking, I just want to share on that. Like, guys, like this, the most powerful thing that we have is our voice. Eh? And, and, and actually is. You know, it, it says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. It's not about works, it's not about anything else. It's when you confess your mouth, with your mouth. So when we speak, things things shift, things change. Obviously, when you declare Jesus is Lord, your your whole life changes, your whole being changes, your whole yeah. spirit comes alive. But honestly, we need to get our voice back, church. Yeah. You, you need to get your voice back, and you need to believe the power of prayer is absolutely powerful and incredible. It says in the word that the... The prayers of a righteous man and woman are powerful and effective. Do you believe that? Yeah, Do you actually believe that? You know, when God, when, when the earth was was void and was dark and all that, God said, let there be light. He spoke and light came and everything started from that moment. All through the Bible, it sees you see God saying, speak to things and things will shift. Things will change. And I just, if anything you can get out of today is that I want to get my voice back. I want to be yeah. someone that declares the name of Jesus, not just in my prayer time, but in my work life, in my to, to my neighbours, in my home, the loudest thing is is not Spotify, but it's my prayer life and time. Because when, when when you pray, people honestly things shift. Yes. You know, when you pray, I believe with all my heart that things things happen. It says things are affected, and then I believe that when when we pray and worship and, and praise, the atmosphere changes. When 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 we believe in faith, I can feel faith rise in, in, in church meetings, but. All through the Bible it says, speak to things and things will shift. He said to Ezekiel, speak to the dry bones and what? Come they on. come back to life. Yeah. 
In Mishnah was saying, in a storm, if you're going through a storm, the greatest thing you can do is speak to the storm. Yeah. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Yeah. He spoke to the storm. Beautiful. Didn't he? Yeah. He was in the in, in, in the in the boat sleeping. I mean, anyone sleep through their darkest, <laughs> hardest moments, you know? But Jesus has crashed down with his disciples and they freak out because the storm's happening. They wake him up. And you know what I reckon happened in that moment, Christian? I reckon in that moment before he stood up and woke up and said to them, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to speak to that storm. I'm pretty sure he looked at Peter and winked at Peter. So anyway, he spoke to the storm and what happened? The storm became still. And then we read chapters later, Jesus makes the disciples get into the boat. And then we find the disciples out on the water again in a storm. And we see Jesus turn up walking on water. That's a, that's a crazy day, isn't it? Some dude walking on water. And who's the guy that stood up? Peter. Peter stands up, jumps out of the water. I mean, he gets a bit of a bad rap for some preachers in this moment because he's like, oh, you know, he dropped in faith. and he's. I mean, he's the only guy that had the big enough balls to get out of the boat. Am I allowed to say balls? I just did anyway. He's the only guy that got out of the boat, right? He's the man. And he got up and he started walking on water. But then what did he do? He took his eyes off Jesus. He started looking at the storm and he began to drown. Do you know what I went through? What I reckon what went through Jesus' mind in that moment? Peter, just think about what I did a couple of chapters earlier. You know what I winked at you? It's not because you're looking good that day or whatever. Peter, speak. Speak. So good. Jesus said, speak to the mountains and they shall move. So good. Do you know what? Like I, I read some of these things in the Bible and I think, man, wouldn't it be cool if that stuff happened? And then one day I saw that scripture and I went, God, you, I'm pretty sure you would have put something in the Bible if it never happened. So I asked the prophet Google like Anushka did. So I asked the prophet Google, Google, has there been mountains that moved when someone has prayed? You're not going to open up your phones and do this now, but you're going to do this later. You're going to go home and you're going to type in to ask the prophet Google the mountain that moved in Egypt. And this happened in 1500. There was a man named Simon the Tanning. He was an Orthodox priest. And he's sitting with the Egyptian ruler of the time with two other religious leaders. And they're trying to convince the Egyptian ruler of the time Trying to convince them to, to show them that that God that they believe in, their faith, they believe is the true faith. Then they get to that scripture. Speak to the mountain and it shall move. The Egyptian ruler turns to Simon and says, Simon, do you believe that scripture? He goes, yes, I do. And he goes, great. See that mountain over there? You have three days to move that mountain. If you don't, you, your family, every single one of your believers will be executed. True story, it's all documented. So Simon leaves the Egyptian ruler, catches up with two of his, his disciples. They ask him, how'd it go? He's like, yeah, pretty good, many. <laughs> pretty good. What happened? What happened? He goes, yeah, like, see that mountain over me? And I said, yes, if we've got three days to move it. If we don't, me, you, all our families and all the believers in Egypt will die. So the documents say that they fasted for three days. They went and prayed and stood at this mountain. And on the third day, they're standing at the mountain. And the third day came and the sunrise hit their face and they realized they hadn't done it. But then they realized, how is the sun hitting our eyes when we're standing in front of a mountain? And the documents say that the mountain was then levitating in front of them. The sun was coming under the mountain, 
looking straight at them, and then the documents say that the mountain didn't move three meters, it didn't move 30 meters, it moved 30 kilometers. You can actually go there today, and they've actually carved, you can see the pictures, the prophet doesn't just speak, he shows you pictures as well, and the mountain, they've carved a church in the mountain. And you can go and see the map where it was. You can see where the mountain was and where it is today, 30 kilometers. Do you believe when you speak, things happen? I believe with all my might that it does. I pray to over my family and friends, and 90 of them have come to the Lord. Friends and family, I believe in the power of prayer. I believe that when the Bible says that we have the same power that raised Christ from the dead within us, I believe that scripture. Do you believe that? Do you believe if you lay hands on the dead, they will recover? Do you believe that? Well, I do because I've had it happen to me. I'll tell you about it right now. I'm preaching in my church just like this, and my wife and people that in my church can testify. I'm preaching in the meeting just like this. And I'm talking about the in inconvenient faith of Jesus, how every time he performed a miracle, he was never on his way to perform that miracle. He was always on his way somewhere else, and following Jesus is inconvenient. Can I get an amen to that? You know, you get up in the morning, you just want to go and have breakfast and hang out, but no. You should go pray. Go pray for that person when you're driving down the road and you're late to a meeting, but he tells you to stop and give that person $500. It's happened to me a number of times. It's an interesting day when you get back and tell your wife, yeah, who'd you give the $500 to? I don't know the guy, I don't know, it's some random fella. Yeah, it's a good day. But I'm talking about the inconvenient faith and how it's amazing. And right then and there, a lady walks into the back of the meeting just like this. Walks in with her two-year-old son, screaming, my baby's dead. Please help me, someone, please help me. And then she starts running from the back of the auditorium down to the aisles and starts beelining for me. And I'm like, who's she running to? <laughs> and she runs straight up to me and hands me this two-year-old baby in my arms. Please, my baby's dead. And I hold this little baby in my arms and this baby's tongue's out, his eyes are open, it's completely grey. And I start flicking my hands over its eyes, so I'm trying to get it to, wait, well, it's dead. Dead. And I said to the church, church, we need to pray. And let me tell you, you've never heard a church meeting pray so loud in all your life. I mean, does it get to that point, people, when we see dead people? Does it get to that point when you have your brother dying of cancer? Does it have to get you to the most desperate moment for you to use your voice? This should be, we should be doing this every single day, because God set you free. You're in freedom. God paid the ultimate price for you not to be selfish, but to be selfless. And here we are playing church games and just turning up and, you know, having coffee and all that stuff. When the whole world right now is desperately seeking for the things that you and I carry. And this baby's in my arms and I just started praying, church praying. Two minutes goes by, three minutes goes by, nothing. I ask in the moment, is there a doctor in the building? Conveniently, the local doctor's visiting our church for the first time. She goes, I'm here. I said, come. I sort of need you right now. And we bring her up. We put this baby on the stage. Church is praying. The worship guys standing there looking at me. What I do? Just keep going. Keep going. Keep worshiping. Keep worshiping. Keep praying. And then they're standing around her. And I said, give me a second with this boy. And I said, I have the same power that raised Christ from the dead in me. And that power that raised Jesus from the dead, I speak that power over this baby. And then this baby just all of a sudden went, woke up. 
I mean, hallelujah. Come on. I mean, that's a good day in church, isn't it, people? <laughs> and I believe here today that things that you thought were dead in your life, relationships, kids that are out and smoking crystal meth and you thought they're dead to this world, I'm here to tell you no. When you speak and declare, my wife and I, we are a product of prayer. After we got saved, we met, we met a church group of different people of different churches around Auckland and then in London and USA that were praying for these two drug addict, meth addict people. They'd never met. And a year later, we were at this house and at this lunch and all these people were there. And there's Betty and Mary from the Presbyterian Church and the Anglican Church. And, and they were crying because they prayed and believed for this, this drug addict couple. And I stand here today, my wife stands here today, we are a product of prayer. And if you've got people out there that don't know Jesus, please don't stop praying for them. Your prayers are powerful and effective. It may not be happening right away, but let me tell you, things are happening. Things are shifting. I've come to realize mountains may not move straight away, but it's like the game Jenga. Do you guys have that game here? You know, the Jenga, when you put it all up, but every time you pray, I believe a little piece is getting put away. It's getting detached from that thing. And over time, that tower will crumble. That mountain will move in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. Are you awake this morning? When we pray, things shift. They were at the day of Pentecost in a room, 120 people praying and believing and the great Holy Spirit turned up. You want to see a move of God in Noosa? Pray. You want to see your pastors go to another level? Pray. You want to think shift in your financial word? Pray. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you prayed? Seek the Lord with everything. And I mean not just pray in this little church meeting part, but I'm talking about on your knees, go away for three days, pray and seek the Lord. Because I just want to let you know here today, I know it's been a big season, and this is the scripture I just want to speak over in this church before I share my testimony with nine minutes I've got left in Jesus' name. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go a little bit over time today. Is that okay? Come on. But this is the scripture, 2 Corinthians 4.18. It says this, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I want to let you know here today, see through Noosa, you've been through a big season. Some of you here today, you've been hard pressed. You're being hard pressed, but there's nothing wrong with a bit of hard pressing. Because when you hard press some things, some good things take place. You hard press an olive, what happens? Oil comes out. You hard press a grape, what happens? Juice. Who said wine? <laughs> Juice happens. <laughs> wine, that's fine. <laughs> you hard press coal over time, what happens to it? It turns into a diamond. diamond. And I just want you to know here today that there's been a pressing take place on this church and the church in a whole across the world. But that's okay. There's been a shaking and a rattling, and that's okay. But I just want you to know what I spoke over the men yesterday. 
I stand here in this meeting and see a room full of Peters. And I just want you to let you know that all the Simons that were once in this room are no longer here. Because if we actually look at the word Simon, Simon means read. And if you look at a reed, when storms or winds or things come, they, they bend down and they don't really do too well in, in hard-pressing times. <coughs> but then Jesus said to Simon, you are now Peter, which means rock. And on, my, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And I just want you to know, please, let me tell you this, please, with all my heart, that you don't know when revival comes, we don't know when even Jesus is coming back. We don't know if he's coming back tomorrow, whatever. We don't know, but all we can do is be prepared. And I just want you to let you know you need to be prepared for this next season. Because this building times it by 10. The people are going to be running into this place because I tell you now, it's going to get a lot harder before it gets easier. Yeah. And people are going to be so desperate because they can't rely on the things of this world any longer. Yeah. Praise the Lord for that. And they are going to be so hard-pressed out there that they're going to be running for hope. And what does it say? We have the hope of glory. Yes. And I want you to know that, that after this hard-pressing season, there's fresh oil in this place. There's fresh wine. I'd like to say juice. <laughs> I stand here today and punch a whole bunch of diamonds. You've got what it takes for this next season. Start getting prepared. Because there is a great move of the Holy Spirit about to happen in this nation. And let me ask you this, are you ready? Are you ready right now for a hundred people to turn up next week? Because it's not going to be them looking after them. It's going to be you lot. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a Peter. You're a Peter. For the ladies, I'm sorry, that's a bit weird. Isn't it? You know what I mean? But it's your season, guys. It's our season as the church. If you look at all great revivals in history, it always happened out of hard times. Heavy persecution. Ah, bring it on, I say. <laughs> you know, if you're going through a storm, that's what I say. You know, you go through a storm here today, I go, praise God, it means you're doing something right. And I just want to honour you both, Eddie and Anushka. I just want to honour you, and I said this to Christian this morning. I just really want to honour you both for standing for this couple in this church through this time. Anushka, you've stood, you've stood, you've stood. There's been a lot of hard times at home and just in your own mind and situations, even just a front, but you've fronted, you've turned up. And I've come to realize God's love language is this, turn up. Hey. That's God's love language, because when we turn up, we, he feels love. Yeah, they've turned up. Even though they didn't want to, even with their cancer, even with their storms, they've turned up. And he can only use people that have turned up. But please get ready for this next season, because you're going to be so key for this next couple. Very, very key. Eddie, this is your time. This is your time. You're called for this time. You've been through a lot in this last season. You've seen a lot. You get it all now. It's time for you to take your place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Amen. My story is a bit crazy. And I just want you to know today, well, whatever can happen to me, can happen to you, can happen to anyone in this world. So keep praying for your friends and family. But, you know, I came from a dysfunctional family. My father was an alcoholic. He was an abusive man. And at the age of eight years old, I found my father beating up my mum. And my mum had enough of that whole environment. And she took myself and my three older siblings out of that environment. And then she raised us by herself. And because dad wasn't around, mum had to work two jobs. And mum wasn't around, dad wasn't around. So when the, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And we got up to a lot of mischief. 
my whole family are actually drug addicts and we actually, I, I got addicted to drugs really quickly because they, they were into it. I got addicted to uh, cannabis and alcohol at the age of 12. By the age of 15, 16, started snorting speed and taking heavier drugs, acid, mushrooms. At the age of 19, I became a bartender at Auckland's nightclub scene. And at the age of 20, a drug hit the shores of New Zealand. And right now, across our nation, across this nation, is now an epidemic. And a, a drug that we call pee and a drug that you call ice. And ice came into New Zealand around the late 90s, and I was about 19, 20 years old. And because I was a greedy little drug addict, it didn't take me long to get addicted to this drug. But let me just tell you how powerful this drug of addiction of, of methamphetamine actually is. They say you don't need to have the disease of addiction. You don't have to have. You don't have to be generationally passed on uh, the, the, the the cycle of addiction in your family to get addicted to meth. You get addicted to it straight away because it's the most addictive drug on this planet. But because I already was a drug addict, my father was an alcoholic, his father was an alcoholic, I got addicted to it straight away. I ended up developing a $250 to $500 drug habit a day and for the next seven years of my life. And how you ask, how do I afford that? Well, while I was bartending and managing bars, I, I met a guy who was a senior member of one of New Zealand's most notorious motorcycle clubs. And as we see on the media and all that stuff, those guys run that world. You know, it's all sex, drugs, and rock and roll and all that stuff. And, uh, and so I got affiliated with him, and him and I became very close friends, joined at the hip. And within the, the, the next two years, um, I actually got away from managing bars and then actually started manufacturing methamphetamine on a large scale. I didn't do it myself. I just found a couple of people that would do it, and then I would just make the whole thing happen, and they would manufacture it for me because I saw the, what the money can be made in that world. And so I ended up making around $100,000 a week most of the time. And with all that, I bought all the cars, I bought all the motorbikes, all the glitz and glamour and all that stuff. But while all that stuff was happening, my addiction was getting more and more out of control and, 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 and heavier. And with all this, I sort of found this new brotherhood, and that's what these gangs do. They sell this whole new brotherhood. And so many of the men that you see and meet with that are in this gang and lifestyle actually have come away from, you know, uh, fatherless homes or they don't have families and stuff and so they they join this new family brotherhood which they promote which by the way is a whole lot of rubbish and I don't I don't care about saying that because I've actually spoken to gang members and I speak to them truthfully about what they're actually a part of so I found this new brotherhood and, the, and this new family and, and I, I, I disconnected from my old family and old friends the only time I'd go back and see my friends and family was to sell them drugs you know what I actually got my whole family addicted to methamphetamine my older sisters, my brother. You know, I watched my older sister in one year, Pastor Christian, lose her house, lose her business, lose her marriage, and lose her kids to methamphetamine in one year. But I was so, this is, this is the powerful thing of addiction and this drug. I was blind to all that. You know, I was, I was a selfish addict. I didn't care what was happening all that. I was just all about myself. Me, 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 me. I didn't worry about the destruction. I was just more worried about climbing bigger in the ladder in the gang world. And so I was the guy that you didn't see out in the line like I was the guy behind the shadows. I was the guy making the, the movies, as we would call it. I would make the movies happen, the drug deals happen. But I can't go into too much details on what really happened, but in, in the last year and a half, I sort of got to see how the gang world actually is. This whole brotherhood, this whole family lifestyle, this all this stuff is all a joke. I got to see firsthand that these guys are actually all out for each other. It's all about money. Money rules the world and money definitely rules that world. 
So I saw firsthand that this brotherhood with these senior members and all that, it's all rubbish. I mean, I sat around the round table, as Christian would know, around the round table of the most powerful gang, gang members, motorcycle leaders in the nation and did business, business with them. But they were still behind the scenes <laughs> doing, doing business and not telling each other that they're ripping each other off and all this stuff. So for me, I was, I'm a loyal person. And, and for me, I just had this light bulb moment. I've just laid down my life for this family, this whole brotherhood. I've now caused all this destruction behind me. I no longer have my family or friends anymore or anything like that. And I just had this light bulb moment that this, this whole thing that I've been a part with is all just a hat. And I just slowly started detaching myself from that world. And I couldn't go back into my old world because I had so much shame and pain from what I did. And so in my last year, year and a half, I became an absolute monster. The guy that was behind the shadows making the movies happen, I was the guy now that was at the forefront. Doesn't matter where I was, broad daylight, doesn't matter what I did. I was the guy that would, was trying to kill himself by using drugs all the time. And I was trying to take as many people down with me. I didn't care what people saw. I didn't care what people thought of me or whatever. I just became an absolute monster of society. I mean, I'll tell you a quick story. There was a guy who was saying some really bad stuff about me, I was paying people, Adam, $500 a day to hunt this guy down. So I was saying, he drives a blue Savara Legacy with a big orange sticker on his back, do whatever you can to find him, you get $500 a day until you find him. So for three months they were finding him, it was my older sister, actually, she rang me and she said, I think I've seen that car. Blue Legacy orange sticker, I said, where? She goes, Key Street, which is the bottom of Auckland Queen Street, right at the bottom of the city. Three o'clock in the afternoon. I said, come pick me up right now. We drove to where he was. He was at a tire shop. He had all his mags and all his cars. He was a drug dealer as well. He had them all stored at his mate's top, the shop that he managed, his mate. So I just turned up three o'clock in the day, jumped out of the car. I said, hey. He turned around. He went absolute white because he knew what was going to happen to him. He knew I'd been hunting him down. I said, come here. And in broad daylight, I mean, some gangsters like guns. I used to like knives. Yeah, I still do, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. But I used to carry knives. And I had this beautiful six-inch blade on the back of my pants, and I pulled it out, and in broad daylight, I held this knife to this guy's throat. I mean, people are running off right now, calling the cops, screaming. And if it wasn't for my sister standing, sitting in the car screaming, don't do it, Trent, don't do it, I would have sticked this guy right then and there. And I humiliated him, I stripped him there, I took all his cars and all this. I mean, that's where I got to. I didn't care anymore. And in this last year of using, I, I, I got a bit of hope, and, and this bit of hope was found in a lady named Jade. And when I met Jade, I mean, you think my story's crazy, you wait to hear Jade's story. When I met Jade, she was doing a $200,000 drug deal. She was going out with a scumbag that was dealing half of Auckland's ice scene, and he was getting his missus to deal for him. A scumbag. So what I did is I took the missus off him, as you do, took her off him, and uh, we sort of connected. She fell madly in love with me, as you do. And within three months, she got pregnant. I won't tell you how that happened, by the way, because my kids are here. Anyway, she fell pregnant. And this was my moment, actually. This was my moment. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to become a dad. And so for, for the people there, the small amount of people that I had left in my word, I was telling them, now, once my baby was here, you know, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm giving up this whole stuff, you know. 
And in this time, I'm, I'm trying to do deals because I knew I had a baby and everyone was ripping me off and, I was, and all the money that I had started disappearing and, and no one would do business with me because I was a mongrel and all this stuff. And it just started getting worse and worse and worse. But once my baby was here, it was all good. But let me just tell you how powerful the disease of addiction is. I held my baby in my arm, my oldest girl who sits here today. I held her in my arms for the very first time, fried off my face. I've been awake for four days. I mean, that was a typical thing for a meth addict. Be awake for four or five days of the week and then sleep for two or three days. That's how we did it. But I had my baby in my arms for the very first time right off my face. I mean, who was I kidding, man? I mean, I couldn't even go to the 7-Eleven store without being stoned, let alone now being a dad. And we took our baby home and, and my wife will testify. It was, it was really bad. We were, we were in the grips of poverty by this stage. Like, it was terrible, man. I mean, I was just thinking about it just the other week, how bad it really was. It was really bad. But obviously, with the scales over my eyes of addiction, you don't really engage with it too much. But looking back, it was terrible. I mean, we had no food. We had nothing in the fridge. And it was the pits. And then one day, I said to Jane, hey, babe, I'm just going to go get some milk from the 7-Eleven store. I came out of the 7-Eleven store, and there's a mate of mine pulled up in the car. He said, hey, bro, hey. He said, do you want to come for a quick puff? Puff on the pipe. He said, oh, I've just got to get home with the milk. He said, oh, we'll just, be, just have a quick one. So I just, being a greedy little drug addict, you know what I did? I jumped in the car for a quick puff. That puff lasted five days. On the fifth day, I go to a hotel room with a friend of mine. We walk in, and there's a girl I know on the couch. And as I walk in, this guy who had the hotel room grabbed me and said, can I talk to you for a second? I said, yeah. He said, do you see that girl on the couch? I said, yeah. She's ripped off a gang member that you know, 30 grand. And the guy that I know, he's a really bad man. So I said to her, oi, come here. Took her to the bathroom. I said, you need to get that money back to him right now. She's like, bro, he's never going to find me. I said, listen to me. He'll spend 300 grand looking for you because you've put shame on his name. He'll have the whole of the underworld looking for you right now. He's not going to find me. He's not going to find me. So anyway, I thought after the fifth day, it's probably a good time to take the milk home. So as I was walking out, she was on the phone to her accomplice. It was her and another guy that ripped off this gang member. And he was saying, come to this other hotel room. I've bought heaps of gear with this money. Come there. So she grabbed me and said, hey, on your way home, can you drop me to this hotel room? I said, yeah. It's on my way home. So we get there. I drop her off. She just says, hey, do you want to come inside for a quick puff? You all know what I did, eh? Being a good little drug addict, come inside for a quick puff. And I remember walking in. I remember it so clearly. She's walking in front of me. She knocks on this motel door. She opens the door. And there was no one standing there. And I remember thinking, that's really strange, the door open, but no one's there. She walks in, and as she walked in, I saw this big arm grab her here and pull her in. I was thinking, what the heck? So I walk in, come around the door, and I had this cold piece of steel stuck to my head. I don't know if you've ever had a, you know, a double-barrel shotgun stuck to your head, but it's a pretty frightening moment. So when I came around the door with this gun to my head, there's the accomplice, the guy on the phone, telling her to come on the floor black and blue, naked, and there's the gang member on the single bed that she ripped off and two of his patch member mates. You see, it wasn't him calling her, it was the gang boss. It was a big setup. And because I walked in with her, they thought I was involved. And this guy, he was jealous of me back in the day because I used to make more money for the club and all of this stuff. So he just, they just went wild. And they ended up kidnapping us for about a day and a half, two days. They did some really terrible stuff to me and her. They stripped us naked, they fed us up really badly, they didn't sexually abuse me, they did some terrible stuff to her, 
But I'm not going to stay up here and sit here. I was like, I was, I, was, I, was, I was the man. I took it like that. I was a scared little boy in that moment. And there was a moment where I thought, man, maybe, maybe I could actually escape out the bathroom window. And I remember going to, so I just needed to go to the toilet and I went to close the door, but they, they kept the door half open because they knew what I was, what I was up to. They said, no, I'll keep the door open. And I remember walking into this bathroom and, you know, remember I'd been up for five days. And now they kept us awake for a day and a half without being on the gear. So my whole body was shutting down. I was blacking it out of consciousness. But I remember this moment, I, I walked into the bathroom and there was a medicine cabinet on the wall and I, and I shut the medicine cabinet and there's a mirror. And I remember looking at myself and there was humpy thumpies all over my face, black and blue. And I, I just want to tell you something, no one had ever preached the gospel to me, no one, had, no one had ever shared the love of the Father to me or anything like this. But there was something inside of me that called out to a God that I did not know. And I don't know if you've ever nearly died and had that moment, but you get pretty desperate in that moment. And all I could think about in that moment was I was never going to see my oldest daughter ever again. I said, I'm going to see my baby. And I looked into that mirror and I screamed. I didn't scream audibly. I screamed inside my spirit. And I looked at that mirror and I said, God, if you're real, please help me. I don't want to die. I want to see my baby again. And I said these words, I promise you. I said, God, I promise you, if you help me, I promise you I'll help you. Might have been a few F-bombs in there, you know. <laughs> and that's all I said, and that's all I actually remember from that moment. I don't remember much from that moment. The next thing I remember, I was in a car with another gang member, and all I could think is that he turned up and pulled me out of that environment, and he's driving me home, and he's like, bro, what's up with you? You used to sit around the round table. What's going on? I said, man, I'm just out. I just need to get home. He takes me home, and here I am. I'm coming home to Jay. So I come home and I couldn't really walk, I couldn't speak, and I remember sort of knocking on the door, Jay, get over the door, nothing. I go around the side of the house, find a window open, I grab on the, get on the hose and I climb through the bathroom window, fall on the floor, sort of army crawl, I think, to, to, the, to the lights, turn the lights on, and the house was absolutely empty. <laughs> you see, what had happened is five days earlier when Trim went to get a, a bottle of milk from the dairy, from the 7-Eleven store, he didn't return, and Jade had had enough. You see, Jade actually grew up in church. Jay grew up in a church called CCC, which is now called C3 Church. And she said, God, she looked at our baby. She said, I don't want my baby raised up in this environment. I want my baby raised up in, in the church environment like this. So like this. And, and she prayed to God. And my wife will testify. She's only heard the audible voice of God once. And the audible voice of God came into our little bedroom that day. And the, yeah. the Lord said this to Jay. Jay. You will marry a man from CCC. And so she just thought of me and she said, That's definitely not that guy. <laughs> so what did Jay do? She packed up the house, packed up the baby, and left. So I come home, coming home to like hope, and my hope's gone. And I fall to the ground. I don't know how long I was out for, maybe a day, day and a half, whatever. Jay comes home. Finds me in the fetal position, black and blue. What happened to you? I said, babe, I just need help. I need help. I'm, I'm over. And I ended up detoxing in Jade's parents' house for a couple of weeks. Made into a rehabilitation program for six months. Praise the Lord. While I'm in rehab, Jade started going back to church. C, C, C. And when I got out of rehab, Jade's trying to get me to come to church, Pastor Christian. 
And I'm like, babe, church, cool, you do that all good stuff. I'm doing my recovery stuff. You know, church is about old people and pews and religion, you know. That was my stigma. That's what people, most people think of what church is like. She's just trying to get me to come along. And then one day, Jade's cousin, who's a youth pastor, was preaching at the Salvation Army Recovery Church. And she said, oh, maybe her and her mum, you know, trying to, trying to get me to come along. She said, maybe Trent will come to that because some of the recovery people he knows there. So she said, hey, we're going to this church. Ross will speak. Do you want to come? I was like, babe, I'm not into this. She's like, oh, Ross is at the recovery. Come see some of the boys. I was like, oh, come and hang out. So then we get there and Ross speaks and I don't remember anything he said. And, and right at the end of the meeting, supposedly Ross gets up and says, hey, uh, anyway, thank you so much for coming. Just want to let you know, for the next six weeks on a Wednesday night, we're going to run an alpha course. And if you want to come to that, it's all the big questions about God, come along to that. Anyway, Jade runs up to me. She's bang. We should do that course. I was like, what course? She goes, the upper course that Ross was talking about. I said, what is he talking about? She goes, where are you listening? I was on this thing. <laughs> and she goes, it's the big questions about God and all this stuff. And I just said, look, Jay, this, this, this whole thing, this is good for you. I'm not into it. Give me a wave if you're married here. Give me a wave, girl. Husbands, give me a wave if you know your, your wives are wise. You should all have your hands up, by the way. <laughs> this is what my wife said to me. She said, Trent. It's my birthday in three days. You have no money because you've just got out of rehab. For my birthday, I want you to do the upper course. Wisdom, blackmail, you know, like, do you know what my answer was? I can't wait to do the upper course. So for the next six weeks, Ross, Jade's cousin, picked us up all across town, took us to this upper course every single week. We're sitting there, these tables with all these recovering drug addicts. They're all nodding off, falling asleep. Jade's sitting there diligently taking notes. I'm not listening at all. And then the last week of this Alpha course, they talk about a thing called the Holy Spirit. Anyway, and Ross's, Jade's cousin, he's the one that's taking this last class because the Salvation Army guys aren't spirit-filled. So he said, I'll do the last week. Anyway, he's sitting there talking about the Holy Spirit like I am right now. Jade's taking notes. Some of the brothers have nodded off. I'm just like, I don't want to be here. And then all of a sudden, as Ross is speaking like I am, he just stopped. I can't hear it. But his mouth is still moving. Just like this. So the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I'm even like, what? But then I realize, I look around the room, that that's not happening for everybody else. They're all still engaged with Ross. And then all of a sudden, I have this presence come behind me. And it starts at the bottom of my feet, comes all the way back up my legs, and all of a sudden my whole body starts, catches on fire, like fire, like I'm burning. And it starts covering all over my back and all over my head, and I'm standing there. And I didn't hear the audible voice. It's like my spirit was taken to a different realm. It's like darkness happened, but I just had this, this voice, this thing. All of a sudden I just heard this sense and heard this thing say to me, Trent, son, do you remember what you said to me? You said to me, if you, if I helped you, you promised you would help me. I am he. And then all of a sudden I come back and I'm like standing there freaking out because my body's catching on fire. And then all of a sudden Ross's voice comes back on the mic and he's like, and that's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I'm standing there like, and Jane, I remember Jane looking over me, she's like, you okay? I'm like, and then I just realized, I'm like, Hey, Jesus God, that God that they've been talking about, that's the God that saved me. That's the God I called out to. And then Ross just goes, hey, 
Because you don't want to just get up and just share about, you know, their little their time over the six weeks. I just stood up. Hey, 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 My name's Trip Memory. Six months ago, I got kidnapped by gang members and I called out to a God that I did not know. And that Jesus fella, that guy, that spirit fella, that holy thing, that thing that you're talking about, he's the guy that saved me. It's him, it's him. A few wet bombs, I think, are happening in there too. But... And there's Ross standing there, Christian, standing in this pulpit, weeping. Because Ross was one of those people that were in that prayer group a year before Jay. They're all praying for Jade and her drug addict kick it, you know, gangster boyfriend. I'm pretty sure the prayers were, Lord, let's see Jade get saved and remove that drop kick of a drug addict boyfriend, eh? You know, that's our prayers, but God's got a better story, eh? And he's standing there crying because he's one of the guys praying for us. I said, Ross, what do I do? What do I do? And he goes, come here, man. I said, what do I do? He goes, what happened to you? I said, my body's covered in fire. What do I do? He goes, we just need to get baptized. I said, let's do it. Next day, we drive to Waimura Beach, I get baptized. I said, what do I do next? He goes, you just need to go to church, bro. And that Sunday, I walk into a church called CCC. And a guy that was here last week, Pastor Dean Rush, yeah. uh, he was preaching. And at the end of the meeting, he said, is anyone here who wants to give their hearts to Jesus? If you do, just stand up and come here. And I ran to that altar. I think I did this for about three months every Sunday. Hey? And I was ran to and I did, man, I did. It's me. I gave my heart to Jesus. And then I realized, at that moment that I called out to God in that kidnapping 15 and a half years ago, that was the moment that I've never ever touched methamphetamine, I've never touched alcohol, I've never touched any drug or substance from that moment. Because when we pray, when we speak, when we confess, things happen. And then the rest is hand, I've just turned up. I don't have any qualifications to my name, I do not have a CV, I've never done Bible college, I've never done anything, I have nothing to my name. I walked out of a rehab at 27 years old with a black plastic bag to my name. $40,000 worth of debt. I've paid all that. God has been amazing to me. But I'll just keep turning up and the rest is history. Became the youth pastor, became the kids pastor in our church. That's an interesting day in church when the pastor gets up and goes, Hey, the new kids church pastor is the ex-meth out of game guy. You're like, yeah. Hey, okay. all the wives are like, hey, you go say something. Became the youth pastor, became the kids church pastor, and then we got asked to be the campus pastors. And... and I'll just share one more story just before we close, and I just want to give you this opportunity as well, but God is a good God, eh? And we became pastors in a, in a place called South Auckland, and we're there for about a year and a half, and I remember we've been at home, and I can hear Jade on the phone, and Jade's in the in, in the lounge, and I'm in the kitchen, and I can hear talking Jade talking to her best friend Mia. You see, Mia was a meth addict. Mia was addicted to meth, and I can hear the conversation was, "Yeah, babe, it's all good. Yeah, 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 we're here to help you. Here, come to church. Here, it's going to be great." And I could hear. I was like, "Oh." It's awesome. Mia's yeah, reached out. Anyway, Jade comes into the kitchen. Babe, babe, guess what? She watch. She goes, Mia's reached out. I was like, praise the Lord. Oh, man, we've been praying for Mia. And then she goes, she's going to come to church this week. And I was like, awesome. And she goes, yeah, she, she's going to come and she's going to bring her boyfriend. I said, great. She goes, yeah, she's going to bring her boyfriend, Dan. Cool. I was like, Dan, yeah. She's in the no drink, Dan. I was like, yeah, Dan the man, you know. <laughs> she goes, nah, Dan, great. And I don't know if you know the story that I was just talking about before about the guy that I 
paid $500 a day to hunt down the guy that spoke stuff about me, that my public enemy number one, the guy I held a knife to his throat in broad daylight, the guy I nearly killed, his name's Dan Gray. Yeah, Dan, she's going to bring Dan Gray. Husbands, give me, give me a wave if you know your wives are wives. Give me a wave. Yeah. yeah. You know what I see, Christian? I said, there's plenty of other churches they could go to, like, you know, like the Baptist church is awesome. Mia sort of looks like a bit of a Presbyterian sort of thing, you know, like. And this is what my wife said to me, my wise wife. She said, is that what Jesus would do, Trent? And I remember that Sunday so clearly because I was preaching. And I don't know, Christian, have you ever preached the message knowing that someone in the meeting is someone that you nearly killed? No. It gets really interesting at the end of the meeting when you give a an opportunity for people to give their hearts to Jesus and the only person that lifts their hand is the guy that you nearly killed. And I remember that Sunday so clearly. I, I said, come up here, man. And he came up and he's all like, you know, standoffish with me. And, and I said, hey, man, come here. Come on, man. I start crying. I said, church. Standing in front of the church. I said, this is Dan. He was like, oh, Dan. I said, I nearly killed this guy. And all the business is like, but did he just say kill? And you know, the gangsters and the death addicts. And they're like, oh, not anymore, not anymore. And I got on my knees in front of the whole church that day. And I led Daniel to Jesus and I, I asked him in front of the whole church. I said, Daniel, can you please forgive me? Please forgive me for because because I did not did not, did not know what I was doing back then. He's looking at me freaking out. Like, what the heck is that? I mean, Daniel and Mia had children. We are now the godparents of his children. A year later, I officiated their wedding. I mean, that's what God does. Let me just tell you, would you be okay for the person that sexually abused you? Would you be okay with the person that ripped you off? Would you be okay with the public enemy number one to turn up to church next weekend and you sit next to them? Because you know what? That's what Jesus would do. And that's the church of Jesus Christ. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to bring dead things back to life. Relationships that you thought were dead. Things in your life that were dead in Jesus' name. He came to bring them back to life. And we stand here today as a product of prayer. Sold out for Jesus Christ. No qualifications to our name. We just love the Lord. And the same God that set me free is the same God that set you free. What are you doing with your life? He didn't pay the ultimate sacrifice for you to be selfish. He paid it so you would be selfish. He said, do not follow the things of this world. Lay your life down for me, because if you don't, you will lose your life. I love worship. I love all this stuff. But, you know, we're going to go to eternity and worship forever. We've got a world out there that needs Jesus. And now, she this was the last time you shared your faith or shared your testimony. Because that's what's needed in this hour. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.